0: Joe, hey. so glad to have you on the podcast today. Um, love if you could share with the audience just a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Uh, sure thing. So my name is Joseph Gonzalez. I am a motor skills coach. And what that means is that I retrain people's nervous system so that they can fight back against uh, nagging lower back and hip issues. So think of me as a high-end movement coach.
0: Mm. That's super interesting, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this as we go throughout the, uh, the interview today. Uh, I saw you last week, and we were joking around about when we first met. I would love if you'd share with the audience when we first met, and that was at a, a networking event in Union Square back in July. Could you share your first impression of me, and then I'll do the same for you?
1: Sure. <laughs> uh, I remember that event really, really <laughs> well. So that was a speed networking event. I think that was the first one that I'd, that I'd ever gone to. And I didn't know what to really expect. And so we broke out. And I remember like you looming overhead because, you know, our height difference. And you told me that you know, you're a coach. <laughs> and you said, I'm a coach. And then I was kind of waiting for like the next part of that statement. And you kind of just like left it alone at that. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, all right, cool. And I kind of just tuned <laughs> out after that because like a coach, coach for what? Like that, that I need more context here. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was my very first impression.
0: Yeah, I think you also mentioned something too that a lot of coaches, when you meet it, meet them at networking events, will be like, "I'm a coach," and then it's like you get a sales pitch, right? And I don't, I don't like doing that. Uh, I don't like being sold to that way. And I've, I've actually had people do that before. So I think that's maybe part of the reason we bonded. So my first impression of you is one, I don't think you're that much shorter than me, so I never realized I was towering <laughs> over you, which is hilarious. Um, but my impression of you is, as we got to talking is this is a guy who's got a rigi- a really original viewpoint on life and specifically what he does. And I remember, uh, within a few minutes, you were telling me about how, uh, the martial arts that you practice, which I'm sure we'll get into today. And one of the things you were showing me is how, like, I couldn't move you uh-huh. if you planted your hips a certain way Oh, and, like, I'm, you, and I, and you're like, Hey, push me. And I pushed you. And I think you like kind of moved a little bit and I'm, I'm like a pretty strong person. I'm not in the best shape as like, you know, martial artist, but I could I can push people around. And then you right. said, Hey, now watch this. And I think you literally adjusted your hips and your weight by like, it felt like a half inch. And then I couldn't move you.
1: Like uh-huh, I was pushing uh-huh.
0: you. I could just, couldn't you move you? So my impression was, this is a cool guy. And also a guy that I definitely want with me. If I'm in a dark alley and get in <laughs> he's the guy who's a little bit smaller than me but they're probably going to try to take out first. And you're actually going to be the guy who takes out everybody for me. And I get to kick back and, kick <laughs> and, back and have to do that.
1: <laughs> get get a Mai Tai, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's hilarious. I completely exactly. forgot that I had exactly. done that for you. <laughs> <I completely laughs> that was great. So yeah, we'd be,
0: yeah, well, it's been really fun getting to know you. We've gotten to know each other over the last few months. And here we are on the podcast. So let's get into it because I'm sure the audience is going to love this today. the first thing I'd like to hear about from you is something that
1: you nerd out about, something that you geek out about. Give us a little, uh, give us something on that. So for me, I really geek out about world building. Uh, So I was a big comic book fan when I was growing up. So I read a ton of Marvel comic books. Spider-Man was by far my favorite superhero. And for mm-hmm. me, I just love the fact that when we got a good writer, you had a writer that really understood the history, understood the lore, understood the mythos of a character, and was able to build and add more context to it. Uh, I think one of the ones that I really, really enjoyed in recent years was you know, Spider-Man. He was, we all know the story by now because of all the reboots. He was bitten mm-hmm. by a radioactive spider. Uh, he got all these spider powers. His uncle Ben died from a burglar. He wasn't able to stop. Great. And... In all of the years, in all the 30 plus years of publication history, that was never thrown into doubt. This one writer, uh, Straczynski, a few years back, he postulated the question, what if the spider was already trying to give you the powers and there was some mystical component way back when? And it was one of those things that I remember reading that very issue. And I'm like, oh my God, I never thought about that. And it just completely changed everything. And it opened up a whole new world of storytelling. Uh, So for me, it's just about being able to reinterpret and reframe your worldview. Like any writer, any creator, any storyteller that can do that, I absolutely love it.
0: That's really cool. Speaking of Marvel, uh, is Spider-Man your favorite Marvel character? He is, by far. Yeah. Guess who
1: mine is. Ooh. Mm, Have they made a movie about them yet?
0: Yes, they have.
1: Uh, you know what? I could see you being a fan of either Captain America or Iron Man.
0: Oh, so Iron Man, because I love him. He's snarky.
1: Uh He doesn't uh actually
0: have any superpowers other than he's really smart. He's really funny. (laughs) And he's a technology guy. I'm a technology guy. So I like the idea that I could build myself a suit of armor and an artificial intelligence named Jarvis in the movies, for those of you who haven't seen it. It's kind of like Siri, except does everything other than like the actual things you need to do as a human being. I know a lot of people are scared of robots. I would love to wake up in the morning and just talk to a Jarvis and not have to do anything besides the things I specifically want to do for the day. That would be my dream scenario. Um, like your, I also own, wanted,
1: yeah. Your own personalized Jarvis, because we can do some some of that with like Siri and Alexa, but it's, it's nowhere near the same thing.
0: No, nowhere near the same thing. Nor do I have the kind of money that Tony Stark has, a multi-billionaire, <laughs> or own a skyscraper in Manhattan. Uh, so the other thing I want to ask you about world building is if you saw the movie Joker. I have not. I have not. So that's so I did see it, and that's another example example of world building that I enjoyed. The different it goes back a little bit to the the Spider Man Peter Parker that you're mentioning, taking a story that's known
1: mm-hmm. and
0: putting a different spin on it. I think that's so fascinating. So, I highly recommend that movie. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Nice, cool. So next thing I want to talk a little bit about is something that is inside of your comfort zone Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: might be outside of somebody else's comfort zone.
1: Anything come to mind? Uh, I think confrontation. And I I say that uh, physically, like I'm not, you know, I don't go out looking for physical altercations, but it's something that I, I understand that greater context and I am prepared to escalate if need be but more along the lines of just differing ideas and differing opinions. Like uh, my background, my parents are both uh, Mexican. They, they immigrated to this country um, before I was born. And a part of, a part of me always wanted to be uh, a very uh, positive reflection on them, right? I wanted to always put them in a good light. So in that instance, I never wanted to be overly confrontational. I never wanted to be uh, overly argumentative or to stand my own ground. I kind of just wanted to disappear and tuck my head and just, you know, uh, do the work. Right, and in mm-hmm. recent years, uh, through a lot of uh, internal work and internal healing, I was actually able to get to a point where no, I am very, very firm in my boundaries. I know what I require. I know what my needs are, and I uh, work tirelessly to make sure that I represent myself and I look out for my best interest in a healthy way. Mm. So when people um, offer a different worldview or a different perspective, and it relates something directly to to me personally or to my work I don't have any trouble not backing down so mm. you know, there are not a lot of things that I will go and I'll overtly argue with someone for like hey you know I think that 90s hip-hop was absolute trash I'm gonna let it slide because it doesn't that's, <laughs> that's not that's not that big of a deal but when we're coming into you know what I do for a living what I do for work uh, or if you try to infringe upon upon my uh, boundaries and that's that's I'm very okay with uh, with putting you into uh, a hard stop.
0: Does a hard stop include like a hard physical stop or just a (laughs) rarely,
1: rarely, rarely, rarely. Um, It's possible. It's possible. It's it's actually, I'll be very frank. It happened once in the last three years. It did happen once in the last three years. I had a, I had a trainer that was, um, he was very childish and he would mess with me while I was training a client and it would be little things like I'm not the leanest person in the world. So this guy would kind of like pinch my love handles. And it mm. was one of the things where I'm like, dude, one, what are you 12? And two, you're doing this while I'm working with a client. So he kept doing it. And I think I remember he, he snaked his way in between cause he had to go get to his locker and he went to do it again. And I was just in a really good like position with my hips and everything. Mm-hmm. I kind of just extended my hand out and I cut him off. I basically blocked uh, him yeah. and I slammed him into the wall gently, like not hard, but like he couldn't move. Like, so I just had my hand out. I was still coaching my client, and this guy was squirming between my hand and the wall. He couldn't get out. And then I looked at him, and he understood where he was at. And I let go, and I let him, I let him pass. But that was that was the full extent of the confrontation. And then he apologized wow. uh, a few hours later <laughs> when we both didn't have any clients about what was going on.
0: Yeah. So. Well, I'll make sure your picture is included with this podcast so that people know what to look out for if they're <laughs> going to cross you. Unlikely to get into physical physical alteration, but possible. <laughs> do not pinch Do not pinch Joe when he's working with a client.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. So let's look at the reverse of that now. So what's something that is outside of your comfort zone that might be inside of somebody else's?
1: So that's very interesting because I actually, I try to go and engage in things that I am not comfortable with, especially if it means that it could potentially be beneficial to me on a growth perspective or from a business perspective. But one thing Mm -hmm. that I actually do a lot of nowadays that I'm still not fully comfortable with is doing a 45 or 60 second pitch at uh, networking events, mostly when Mm -hmm. there's no uh, return back on interaction. So you stand up, you're in a room full of people, and then you got 60 seconds to say who you are. Um, For me, I I feel it is very limiting, and there's no feedback. Like when you're in a conversation and you're just flowing and you're talking, it's much, much easier because then you can build off of feedback. Someone can shift their body posture. They lean in because they're interested, or they just completely lose all interest, and you don't have to like expend any more energy in that in that uh, conversation. But um, yeah, pitching, as it were, in a classical sense, like is something that I'm still not very comfortable with.
0: Yeah. So what is it? What is it that's uncomfortable, other than the lack of feedback? That uh, makes I you uncomfortable with it.
1: I think that's the biggest thing because we as human beings, we thrive off of communication. We thrive off relating to one another. Like, that's one of the biggest things that we're looking for. It's the whole reason that we have developed communica- communities. Um, mm-hmm. We're looking for places that we can feel safe and we can feel secure. Even as babies, when we're looking around, we're looking for, uh, to match our mother's gaze. And when we don't get it, when our mother doesn't, uh, doesn't offer that to us, we don't feel good. We don't feel validated. And that leaves uh, lasting emotional trauma. So for me, it's kind of like I, I don't get a chance to have that kind of relate, uh, related backness. Related back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh from other mm-hmm. people. It's just kind of like I, I go, I shoot my shot, and then you sit down, and then that's it. Um yeah. I think it's at a very, very fundamental level, it's it's not a two-way street. And I think that's what what makes me a little unsettled by it.
0: Yeah. It's that's funny because I know you do a lot of networking, and that's generally the format at networking events. Uh when you right. actually get a chance to stand up and pitch, is you kind of stand there and say your piece and then you sit down, and people don't get to ask you questions, at least not at the moment, but maybe the idea is that you they learn something about you and then they get to go up and ask you afterwards and have a real, have a meaningful conversation. That's right. been my experience as well as it is a strange, it is a strange feeling to to know if anybody even cares when you say that, say what you do. Right.
1: Right. And I think that the only difference was, I think the one that I went to today where I did my little spiel, I sat down and then I got a question. I stand, I stood back up, answered the question, sat back down. I got another question. <laughs> <So> that, <laughs> I actually enjoyed that one a lot, but uh, it was mostly because of the feedback.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, thanks for sharing both of those. So, another question I wanted to ask you about is I'm going to give you a scenario where you've got five minutes. Okay. And you get to give a speech to the world or five minutes. What would you give the speech on and why?
1: Oh, that is an excellent question. Um, I think that the biggest thing that I would talk about would probably be um, learning and accepting and embracing uh, the path towards inner healing. And I mean that very specifically. I mean that a lot of us have these unconscious biases w- that we are exposed to when we grow up. So uh, it could be something very benign, like, hey, I, I don't trust people with, let's say, red hair. You know, something very, very benign. Or it could be something a lot more uh, insidious, right? Especially with the, the, all of the, the, the racial uh, implications of that, of that statement. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, they don't know that what they were taught by their parents, and this could be on a pure emotional level, like for men, like we're taught to like bottle up our feelings and not express uh, our other emotions outside of anger. So even those things, there's still this, this un, uh, unconscious programming that we have. And we don't know that it's not normal. Like We don't know that our experience growing up wasn't normal until we interact with other people and we can share, and we relate our experiences. And they say, really? My dad let me cry. Uh, And then you're like, well, wait, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? So uh, a lot of our biases really are just learned from our parents and our parents were imperfect people. And even though they may love and support us, uh, you know, in the best cases, that still doesn't mean that they were fully equipped to uh, prepare us with a lot of these social skills that would allow us to interact (laughs) and engage and relate to to more people. And so we take those biases with us in our relationships, in our work environment, in the way that we approach problems, in the way that we communicate. And I think that if more of us were, were open to working with someone like a therapist or a psychoanalyst, and that it wasn't such a taboo thing, I think that uh, we would be able to resolve a lot of the, the issues and the conflicts that we would find both at home and in the workplace.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. That sounds like a speech that would be useful to humanity. Joe,
1: what's the thing that you're most proud of? Oh, I think. It's not a thing, but I think it's this acceptance that I am fully aware and I'm fully equipped to grow out of the person that I currently am. And what I mean by that is that I never like taking the easy way out on something. I will always do the required work to grow out of my shell. For example, I was, um, as a personal trainer, when I met my mentor, when he exposed to me the, the level of depth of understanding that we would have to embody for cognitive neuroscience and the memory system and the brain and all these other things, psychology. Uh, most people in my experience would uh, shirk away from that kind of responsibility, from that kind of work volume. And for me, I whined a lot about it. Like I still whine to this day, but at the end <laughs> of the day, he always knew that there was no question in his mind that I would just uh, you know, tuck my head and just blast through. Um, whenever I felt that there was something going on with me emotionally, whenever I felt like I was starting to lash out too much, he said, you know what, it might be a good idea to go see a, a psychoanalyst. And as much as like, that, that kind of would wound someone, you know, your mentor saying, hey, by the way, I think you should go see somebody about this. Um, for me, it was kind of like, you know what, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I should go check this out. As uncomfortable as that made me feel, as, as uh, maybe as hurt as I may have felt when he initially said it. Um, at the end of the day, I always care about self-improvement. I care about true growth, and I am willing to embrace um, whatever feeling of discomfort I may initially experience. So to moving past those feelings of discomfort, uh, I think, are, are, is, is one of my proudest achievements or, or traits.
0: Yeah, no, that's really cool. I, my experience, a lot of people will do almost anything to not experience discomfort, yeah. especially emotionally which ends up avoiding, which ends up bottling up. And like you said, which ends up um, in all sorts of ways, ranging from mild to dangerous, right. Of of how that ends up when you bottle those things up. So that is really cool that you, that you uh, feel the discomfort and move past it through the, the various methods, which I'm sure we're going to talk more about today. Thanks for sharing all that. that. Uh, I'd love to hear final last question here. What are you passionate
1: about? I, Absolutely love nuance. And nuance. Nuance. So the idea, it, it's present in storytelling. So Jonathan Hickman is one of my favorite uh, comic book writers. And with him, like he'll make a statement or he'll set something up in the first issue of a 12-issue run, and the payoff will be enormous in that 12th issue. Or uh, how you look at martial arts and say, hey, if you always do this, it takes care of most situations and you know you try to come up with ways in which you try to test your teacher and say hey but what about this and he's like yeah then this is the response and then you look at it and you say that's the same thing it's the same principle at work or you're looking at it from a movement or a coaching perspective and you say like well what's the issue here and at the end of the day it's always the same two or three things so for me it's it's that ability to find the sameness find the principles and everything and um and still being able to to pull back and say, oh, you know, this shows up in this technique or this technique. So being able to switch back and forth, <clears throat> micro and mic, and micro and macro.
0: Oh, yeah, super cool, super cool. So we've been digging in a little bit on this, but I'd love to hear more about your general philosophy on life. What I mean by that is, how do you operate? Like, how do you see the world? What do you, uh, what do you both want to create in the world? And how do you, how do you view the world? And and operate inside the world like so yeah just your general philosophy on life
1: sure so i'm not a big fan of good and evil i don't personally believe that there are good and evil people i believe there are socially skilled and unskilled people and you can trace that back and you can give me almost any example and i can i can fit those people into one of those two categories the spectrum of social skill tracing back to how parents were able to influence these unconscious biases right so In that context, it actually makes me dealing with quote unquote difficult people very, very easy because I understand where people are and also because I used to be one of the more unskilled people, you know, uh, being being completely transparent. Mm -hmm. So I approach most interactions with a level of understanding, not because, not one of superiority, like not like, hey, I understand that, you know, whatever, you're unskilled or whatever. No, 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 it's not that. It's just, I get it. Like I've been there, I I know how hard it is for you to step out of the the paradigm that you currently inhabit, and why you can't consciously get yourself out of it. Like I get it because I was there. So for me, it's it's I have a little bit more compassion for people, even the people that some some other people will say like this person's really frustrating, this person's a, an a hole or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I, I I get that. Like I I get where you're coming from, but it's like. When you when you dig into the research, when you dig into the neuroscience, when you dig into the psychology, and when you've been able to come out on the other side of that, you can appreciate the struggles and the journey that everyone else is on. So for me, it's about can I learn more about myself? Can I be more understanding with myself? And you know, on the flip side of that is can you hold on to your boundary so that people don't just run over you because you understand them? Mm-hmm. Uh, how I view life or how I view everything. <coughs> Every kind of understanding that you're trying to learn, whether it's marketing, whether it's copywriting, whether it's coaching, whether it's movement, whether it's business, doesn't matter. Every time that you understand something at a much deeper level, there is a point where it has to be reflected back on you. So you have to take that with you. And and, and in order to embody this lesson, this understanding, you have to apply it to yourself, right? Mm. So you have Mm -hmm. to realize that, hey, there's a gap between where I want to be and where I think I am. Or where I think I am and where I actually am, and it's in that realization of that gap that the, that growth actually can occur. So yeah, that's that's a big part of how I view how I view the the world.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a follow up question to that around the philosophy. So th- to me, it sounds like you've got you embody a growth mindset. I'm curious if you have an opinion through your training, both as a movement coach, and you know, we're going to hear in a little bit about some of the other work you do is in psychoanalysis and such. What do you see as the, like, what's the stop for people? Because, you know, I do coaching and, you know, I think most people that hire a coach by definition are, it's somewhat have a growth mindset, right? Like they, they want to improve on something, but I also know a lot of people that they don't, they kind of operate in this place of what's comfortable and they don't really want to grow, or it doesn't seem that they want to grow. What do you Mm -hmm. see as the, like the stop for people and why, why they have that sort of mindset or people that don't have the mindset of a Joe or a Jason, of like, Hey, like, how can I improve? How can I be more resilient? How can I be gritty? And instead just kind of have this attitude of, well, I'm good where I'm at. And this is all, this is all
1: you're getting from me, or this is all I'm giving myself. So these would be the people that let's say they, they never reach out for coaching.
0: Well, I mean, coaching is one example. It's not the only example, but yeah, people or people that are like, I'm good. Like I don't need anything. People Got that. It. Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cause then that would have been a, a slightly different answer for you. So yeah. for, the, for the people that are very content with where they are, um, they have been, and I'm, I'm generalizing right now. So this is not like a, 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 I'm assessing and I'm diagnosing. That's not what I do. But from my experience, the people that say I'm good or I'm content, there is a framework that they have embodied for how the world works. And coaching or seeking to grow out of that framework means to destroy the framework that they've built. And to destroy your reference for the world is a very scary thing. And they may not feel like there's fear, like, oh, I'm just not interested, or I don't want to do this. It's like, for them, they are, their subconscious is not allowing them to engage in any activity that has the potential to prove a threat for their worldview. Because it's mm-hmm. like the idea of somebody who's say, a crossfitter. Again, this is not against, I'm not against crossfit, but your stereotypical mm-hmm. crossfitter. They'll say... CrossFit is life, yay, CrossFit, water the day, you know, F the world, whatever. I'm, I'm really generalizing here. Uh, or yeah, it could sure. be like skiers or golfers or people that do P90X or whatever. I'm, I'm using movement as an example, right? Sure. And then they say, if you don't do CrossFit, if you do bodybuilding, that's played out, that's old. These people, because they're looking for a tribe, they're looking for a community, they're looking for things that are going to give back to them, to make them feel safe, to make them feel like not an outcast. They have identified so much with something that is external to them that any threat on this thing, and this thing could be their worldview. Any threat on this thing is now a direct threat to them, because this is the old, this is one of the main ways that they can relate to their environment. Because they have they lack certain ability to uh, meaningfully relate to another being and take things on a uh, case by case basis. Yeah,
0: that, that's fascinating, and this is a really good segue into kind of the next section, what we're going to talk about, and I think you've alluded to a lot of this throughout the, the time we've had so far, but, you know, so I've heard, um, you know, a child of Mexican parents, you alluded to the fact that, um, in the past, and I forget the exact terminology you used, that you were a person who you would deem as, uh, weren't doing well socially. And today sitting here, you're a very successful movement coach. You're a martial artist. Uh, and I know you do a lot of other things. I'd love if you would share with us, uh, myself and the audience, like your journey, like, how did you get here today? And what, you know, like any stops for you that you experienced, uh, anything that you think the audience would find value in your story that they can take away from this episode and then take into their life.
1: Ooh, there's a lot of stops and turns and pivots. So we'll we'll try to give you the, the, the $3 version. Uh, my background is in mechanical engineering from MIT, right? So I approach things from a very scientific perspective. I always am looking for the weak points in in everything. I want to see why do things work all the time? Why are things the way that they are? And I question a lot. I question everything. Uh, I think that's really what uh, propelled me to where I am today, is that I didn't take anything at face value. Uh, I came back to New York. I, I remember at the time that I was finishing up at MIT, my best job offer was out in the Midwest and it was the decision mm-hmm. between going out in the middle of nowhere and remaining unemployed in New York City. So I made the the financially responsible decision and I moved back to New York City. <laughs> and I tried to <laughs> I tried to figure out what was going on, like what could I do? Right. Because I, I, I couldn't get hired anywhere. And a friend of mine said, Hey, let's do a t-shirt company. Let's do screen printing. I was like, fine, whatever. Uh, it actually took off and we were we were pretty successful at it, but it was from me a Using the standard approach of, I'm not trying to sell high end designs. I'm trying to sell toilet paper, meaning that mm-hmm. I look for people that consistently had a need every year or every quarter uh, to put out t shirt designs for like companies or events or whatever. So I looked for that. I looked for the people that needed one color, simple print designs, and I did that um, because I didn't know how if this was going to last or not. I didn't like what I did. I felt very drained and sold the company. But what I took from that experience was that. I realized how hard it is to uh, provide products. I learned how hard it was to uh, rent real estate in order to store all of the merchandising. I realized how important customer service was because a lot of times I was the guy calming people down when an order didn't get delivered on time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I saved us a lot of grief on that end. I eventually uh, got into Chinese martial arts. I was blinded within the first couple of months of training. So uh, we were doing a sparring exercise and I actually... uh, somebody poked me in the eye and shadowed the top three layers of my left cornea. So I was essentially blind wow. for a little over a week. And wow. Yeah. So this is something that I actually, I don't mind telling people, but I realized that I haven't told this story uh, in a while. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea is that this, this, think of this Taiji wrestling spinning hands kind of thing. And the guy just was really, really strong and he got in closer than I should have let him. And the in this thing, when you drop your guard, the other person's hand just flies in. It's not a, Consciously, I'm trying to hit you. It's just the way that it works is that you're yeah. always applying pressure. The pressure is not there to match it. You go in, so there's no thinking involved. So uh, I want
0: to I want to um, pause you for a minute. I actually have a yeah. question about the martial artist. Sure. So what's the um, what's the school or the I don't know if you call it a school or a genre. What's the what kind of martial arts do you
1: practice? Sure. What's your so my main background? The first martial art that I practiced was Tai Chi So Tai Chi, right? I learned that and, for about, Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just
0: going to ask you, Joe. So, for those of us who aren't martial artists, and I am yeah. certainly not, <laughs> is there any frame of re- like cultural frame of reference that oh, of somebody that practices that? Is there anybody like what would be the closest thing that like uh, me as a martial artist uh, bystander or amateur could relate that to?
1: So, for Taiji, the closest thing that you could find for Taiji or Ely would be Sam Chin. So, if you Google Sam Chin and then Ely, uh, uh, like uh, I L I, Ely Trend, mm-hmm. Q U A N, Sam Chin videos pop up. So, Sam is this big, big dude from uh, Malaysia, and he has a lot of power, but he relies on a lot of what we call internal mechanics. So, the mm-hmm. internal style of martial arts are a branch of Chinese martial arts that were really stressing internal mechanics, they didn't stress external power. So external power would be like, let's say, Taekwondo, boxing, Muay Thai. The main focus of a lot of these arts is the contact point, right? Yeah, blocking, aerosol covering, but it's like you care about hitting the guy.
0: For internal
1: arts, the whole idea is that screw the guy. You have to refine your mechanics so well that if you graze him, if you give him a glancing blow, um, you're going to make him double over. And the general feeling for these arts is different. So let's say Tai Chi. Right, Taiji, the feeling of Taiji is that uh, someone comes at you and you're just a spinning ball and you bounce them away. The idea for Bagua, which is a lesser known art, is that you are the spinning ball and you just spin all around the guy, kind of like uh, Ang from uh, Avatar, the last airbender. Like he changed sure. Bagua Dang. And then Xing Yi, so Xing Yi has two branches, Xing, which is shape. It's a different character. Shape, intention, boxing. So that's the, the younger version of it. Xing Yi that's like the, the ball from uh, the Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. Like the ball mm-hmm. just rolling down the hill, it's going to crush you. That's Yi Chuan. That's the energy of that martial art.
0: Got it. That's, then, a, great, that's so, a great analogy.
1: Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter what's going on. It's like, if you're in my way, I'm just, I'm going to cut right through you. So yeah. Yi Chuan is what I studied with my, uh, my longest martial arts teacher. And then uh, today I currently practice something that's called Xingyi. Yi is a different character. It's X-I-N and it's the character for heart. So shape is what I used to study, heart is what I study now. And this art is now, it's a lot older. It was originally only taught to Chinese Muslims uh, up until the 1980s. So then they started branching out and teaching non-Muslims.
0: So how many hours have you put into your martial arts training?
1: Uh, a lot more in the first seven years. So when I was with my second teacher, it would not be unheard of for me to go in for a sparring class at 11.30 a.m. And I would leave the school close to midnight. Wow. And how
0: yeah. many days a week were you doing that?
1: Uh, five or six. Training with them. And then you would do your own solo practice.
0: Oh, so that you're talking about 70, between 60 and 70 hours a week of either sparring with your your, uh, your mentor, a, a classmate, or you'd be doing your own solo, solo, like you said, solo practice.
1: I would say more at, home, like- oh, at
0: home or in the gym.
1: I'd say more around like 10 to 15 because each class was like two hours. And then you, we stuck around for like another half hour. So yeah. I think we did one, two, three, four, so that's at least eight. And then your own practice is about an hour a day. Yeah. About 12 to 15 hours a week.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so how many, and I know today you're still, you're still training.
1: Right. So today's uh, sprint, it's all solo work. So I'll spend anywhere between 45 minutes to 60 minutes practicing, uh, two separate drills and I'll keep cycling between the drills every three months.
0: Gotcha. And what's, what's the value? Like, what do you get out of it? It's obviously a big time commitment. I would imagine there's a financial commitment as well. What do you, what do you get out of it?
1: So for me, it's, it's, it's very interesting. The, the position that our teacher, my current teacher teaches us like the bony position, the structure, the framework, it actually parallels the, the shapes or the positions that I teach people on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's just looking at the entirety of the spectrum. So what I do is I help people that like got like achy back or shoulder issues, or they just feel older than they should. Right. Uh, not structurally, not no structural damage, but with Xing mm-hmm. Yi, it's kind of like saying, okay, yeah, 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 you take these principles. And then now you keep going until the natural conclusion of this thought process. So now these guys are saying, this is how you break someone's bones. This well, is how you transmit maximum power. This is this is why this thing was secret for so long. And not to say that these guys can do like supernatural things. It's just you're going to hit a lot harder than uh, than most people. Yeah, and it's going to take the fight right out of you. Uh,
0: so, I can imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then for me, it's, I, like, I, it's just it's validating all the stuff that I do for work because they're saying like, "Hey, this is what you do. When you do this, make sure you uh, kai he, so it's like open and close and Mm -hmm. before i did what i do now i was like saying hey yeah that makes sense you know off and on left and right whatever whatever but now when they say little words like that it's like now it actually means something very specific like and you can see the level of detail when they say something like you're learning a martial art movement and they say this is called a ba and the whole idea is that the shape of the move isn't the isn't the thing the thing is the rhythm that this helps create in your body a, a mechanism of expressing expression of power so it's kind of like you have a cup of coffee. Everyone wants to learn the shapes and the forms and that's the cup, but that's not the thing. The thing is the coffee. You care about the cold brew in the cup, right? So mm-hmm. it's about not mistaking the cup for the coffee. And I think that's what a lot of people get, even when it comes to movement, like they do squats, they do deadlifts, they do all these things, but most people are focusing too much on the cup.
0: It's so fascinating. So you've alluded to it a couple times. I'd love to hear about your journey uh, and you mentioned earlier you were doing physical training you're now a a high end movement coach mm-hmm. love to hear about your journey there as well cuz i know that's what your your primary focus is for um your business today and yeah i'd love to hear about how you got into that um sure. and any and also any lessons learned there that that our audience would like to hear about oh absolutely
1: so uh, it's interesting it was my martial arts teacher the guy that taught me uh singyi so uh shape intention boxing that guy said hey why don't you go be a personal trainer you know you could you know set your own hours and then you can keep training with us i was like yeah that sounds fine so i did that for about seven and a half years i started off at new york sports club moved on to crunch and then did a couple of uh, boutique gyms uh, right after that and from the very first session that i did when people started like all the trainers would like you know go and like check out the new guy like hey it's his first session let's see how he does let's see how he royally screws it up and <laughs> i finished because that, yeah, that's that's what it is. Like, a, there's the turnover oh, rate for trainers is ridiculously high. So everyone was kind of saying like, hey, do you think he's gonna he's gonna make it? Do you think he's gonna lose a client? So yeah. you know, the guy walked away, and they waited until he, he got out of the, the training floor, and then they were like, yo, because uh, I was up on 115th Street, and so one of the guys, Larry, said, yo, how long you been training? <laughs> and I said, that was, my, that was my first session. And he's like, yo, you sound like you've been doing this for years. And it was at that point that I realized that maybe I have uh, a knack for this kind of thing, mm-hmm. and. That's great. Throughout every manager that I've ever met, I had always been like the, the, quote unquote, the injury guy. And what I mean by that is that I was always the one that had people that had previous injuries before. Like they had had a herniated disc several years ago, or they had a bad knee or something along those lines. It was never something acute. And it got to a point, it was actually so bad at crunch that I stopped prospecting. So, you know, they have you go out and talk to everybody on the floor, try to get new clients, right? I stopped prospecting, because I knew that anyone that came in through those doors and bought uh, training sessions at the front desk, they were going to give to me if they had any kind of issue. Like I would sit oh, down, okay. I, had a, I had a conversation, I got, I got a little cocky with this, I will admit. So I, <laughs> I, I, this manager who sit me down and he was like, Gonzalez, he was like, listen, uh, unless you come down and you give me, you know, you start prospecting and you come down with five new numbers, yeah, I'm not going to give you anybody from, from uh, point of sale. And I was like, cool. So I went up there and I, you know, I try, I try to do it. And like, not even five minutes later, like I got a text to come downstairs. And then the general manager said, Gonzalez, I got a lady for you. She just bought 50 sessions. She's got a bad hip, whatever, whatever you take care of her. And my fitness manager was like, what are you doing? I just told him you can't do that. And then the manager looked him dead in the eye and he said, really, who else are we going to give it to?
0: And then That's amazing.
1: He messed up because he said that in front of me. So then I looked at my fitness manager. And I was like, "Yeah, that's a good point. Who else are you going to give this to?"
0: That's great. So you, so you had the, you have what every salesperson on the planet wants: a completely full inbound funnel without having to do any work for it at all. Right. So that's, that's amazing. Just walk in business. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's it's, yeah, it's amazing. That's why I survived. Even when I left Crunch, I still had like a huge uh, referral network because i was like people just loved working with me they loved working with me and they would recommend me to everybody and i never had to do marketing like a lot of trainers when they get out of crunch or equinox or whatever a lot of them have to hustle to get clients i never experienced that so for me it was a good and bad thing it was great because i mean i never had experienced that threat you know i was always able to pay my bills and everything but Mm -hmm. the bad thing is that i never had to uh bust my chop to get clients so when uh, things started to slow down and I, I still didn't have a website like eight years in, I didn't have any social media presence. It was like, oh my God, what's, how do I get new clients? What's going on? <laughs> uh, and then my injury. So, this is the pivoting into what I do now. Yeah. So, I was always good with people that had previous injuries. I was just very careful and very patient. Like, I really feel that at the end of the day, I just wasn't stupid. Like, I knew how to take people to their edge and be safe about it. Like, I really feel like, what's your secret? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a moron. Like, <laughs> what do you want from me? And, uh, And so I was training in Muay Thai at the time. So this is my first uh, deviation from Chinese martial arts. So uh, real quick, real quick, Joe,
0: Uh, real quick. I've heard of Muay Thai. It's Muay Thai. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Muay Thai. Muay Thai. I've heard of that before. That's it. That seems like something that I've either seen or is there anybody famous that practices that or is there a place that I perhaps have seen Seen so, that before, like an MMA or something like
1: that? The movie, okay, so uh, uh, video game reference, Sagat from Street Fighter, Tiger, uppercut, <laughs> that's Muay Thai, right? That's that's, that's Muay Thai. The movie that you'll remember, it, it's not real Muay Thai, but this is what everyone remembers, is Kickboxer with Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, some other guy.
0: <laughs> like for fit. those of, yeah, I'm just going to mention, for those of you listening under the age of 30, Jean-Claude Van <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme was the, was the um, pure martial artist superstar in the 80s and had, uh, he must have had 20 or 30 movies, Kickboxer being one of his most famous. Um, you may remember Jean-Claude Van Damme from his commercial that he did. I believe it was a, either a Nissan commercial, if you remember this, Joe, where uh-huh. he did the splits on the two trucks.
1: Yes, yes, that was it. And, and his, that, I think and, his daughter does that too.
0: And his daughter does it. And it was real. I read about that. That is a real yep. thing that he actually does where they move the trucks apart so for those of you who are under the age of 30 who don't know who john claude van Damme is um google him and google his commercial specifically he's amazing and he was one of these like the greatest martial artists uh, movie movie action hero of the
1: 80s yeah so like most of his movies because he was trained in like in other martial arts he was i don't think he was ever really trained in muay thai but like the bad guy from kickboxer he was supposedly a muay thai fighter uh Got who it. i think if you're in New York City, I think one of the most traditional places to go is you can go to Cobons on 38th Street. So that's, that's the gym where I was at, where I had my, my injury. Um, okay. So whatever. I got overzealous, and I was sparring with one of my friends, and I gave him an amazing roundhouse kick. It was awesome. It was great. Snapped his head back the whole nine. But then I heard up <laughs> in my hip, and I said, oh, no, this is not going to end well. And I knew it before my foot even touched the ground. I landed, and I crumpled to the ground like I couldn't support my own weight.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: like my, my right groin area was not feeling too hot. So I went to go see my mentors, one who's a, an internationally known uh, clinician. And the other one is a trainer that was like really, really into prehab and rehab. And I went to go see them right after it happened. And both of them gave me very similar assessment and, and uh, prescription for certain drills and exercises. didn't help. So I started to go see other people and I ran through six other clinicians or specialists nobody had any clue what was going on. Like they would treat me, they would do stuff, but it was like, I felt the same two days later. I got imaging done and because I had I, I heard like, hey, you may be experiencing something called testicular torsion. And I was like, that doesn't sound good. So I got mm-hmm. imaging done. Imaging was negative. Like there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm like, that's not even remotely close to true. The pain was so bad that I developed insomnia about three months in. So I couldn't even sleep on my bed because I kept tossing and turning and looking at the clock every two minutes. I, I lay down on the floor during the evening, but I didn't sleep. I put on about 40 pounds. Uh, my patients went right out the window. So I lost a lot of clients because I I really wasn't a pleasant person to be around for that year. And I, I walked away from everyone. So I left all the gyms that I was training at. I said, nobody has any answers. Nobody, nobody knows how to help me. I at least know where the answers are not. And I said, I'm just going to go somewhere else because if I stay where I'm at, I'm not going to get any better. And that was terrifying for me because this, this community had been like my go-to for so many years in the industry. Yeah. And I think I got on a phone call and then, you know, it came and went, came and went, but it was never something that like fully left. And the insomnia was always there. So I got introduced to a friend of mine by a mutual friend in Boston. So we got on a three-way call. I found out this guy was in, in New York. So we met up, we had breakfast, we, we clicked, but I didn't see him again for six months. So six months later, I saw him coaching a mutual friend. And I was like, hey, could you could you show me what that is? That looked pretty interesting. So he assessed me on the table. He got me into a position on the floor with, with me laying on my side. My adductor started, my inner thigh started to cramp, the same inner thigh where I had the issue. And then mm-hmm. he said, all right, cool. Now this is how you breathe. And I swear to God, it was the hardest four breaths of my life. Like I felt like I was suffocated. Oh, man. And- like he said, he, now move your neck into this position, move your jaw here, do this with your hip, do this with your arms, move, do this with your shoulder blades. So it was like 15 billion things I was juggling. He's like, all right, now hold on to that and breathe. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So, but when I got up, like immediately everything changed. Like my hip pain was gone. Uh, my heels felt heavier. My torso felt lighter. And the biggest thing was that the walls of the room felt like they had gotten pushed back. So I knew that something about my cognition was different. Wow. And I said, what the hell was that? And he looked at me and he said, neuroscience. And then he just walked away. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Mic <Mike> drop. Neuroscience. <laughs> drop. Boom. It's neuroscience done. done. Whatever. And Thank like, you. That's all. helpful. <laughs> and I, my, this guy's a trainer. This guy's a trainer and he's been doing this less uh, for a, a shorter I mean, a shorter period of time than I have. And I'm like, no, come back. Wait, can you teach me how to do that? Now, for context, this is, this is my current mentor now. Uh, he is an ex-Marine he has uh, been deployed, I believe, twice in Afghanistan, so he's seen combat. So mm-hmm. the next phrase out of his mouth was a little, had a little bit of gravitas to it, but at that point in my life, I didn't really register it. So he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, "Well, how good do you want to be?" And oh, like, man. so imagine. So this was three years ago, but pretend like you're an 18 year old kid and you're hearing that and you're like, I, I, that doesn't mean anything to me. Can you teach me how to do that? <laughs> that, was, that was my immediate response. I'm like, oh, no, shut the hell up. Can you teach me how to do that? And so he he threw like a, a textbook called principles of neuroscience at me and he said, you know, get to work. And there were days during that first year where I spent 14 hours just glued to his side, asking him questions like, Hey, why do you do this? And why do we do this? And why do we do this? And mind you, up until this point, I was already one of the better prehab, uh, prehab trainers in New York city. Like I was yeah. already legit at this point. And what he was showing me was blowing everything out of the water. And I'm like, so does this mean that, how does this mean, how does this change how we train? Because this was just like a warmup drill. This was a reset. This wasn't training. Right. And he says, Oh, this changes everything. And that's when we started to, to, Dissect all of the staples of strength training, like lunges and single leg deadlifts and presses and rows, and we're like, no, 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 no. How we understood how these things worked before was completely wrong, and so that's really when we started to to deviate. I stopped calling myself a personal trainer, and I started calling myself a motor skills coach because it's at the end of the day, it's managing all of these different positions to allow us to finally let go of this like nagging uh, muscular tension.
0: Amazing. so that's so how many years ago was that when you had that uh, I'll call that your marine marine on the floor moment the <laughs> no, neuroscience no, mic drop
1: that was three <laughs> years ago that was three years, three years ago. ago so I was his second and, uh, and last student
0: Got it And so since that time you've been training with him mm-hmm. and then developing your own practice yep uh, in, a, in a different way which I'd love for you to you know to kind of wrap this part of it is tell us about your private practice that you have now. Um, But so three years ago you were doing personal training Mm -hmm. and you're doing your martial arts. You hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. You had a moment of epiphany and pain release relief. And then the mic, the neuroscience mic drop moment. Right. And and was that the moment where it all changed for you and where you developed this new, uh, this new, not a career path, say, but a new way of looking at things, which we're going to talk about in a minute here.
1: Yeah, uh, that was that was the big shift for me was that that three year uh, three year moment, because then at that point, once he started talking and teaching and explaining stuff to us, like I uh, mentally I unfollowed everyone in the industry. Like a couple of years later, I actually went to my social media accounts and I unfollowed everyone else in the industry um, because I realized that what this guy was saying was just the most honest thing that I've ever heard in terms of explaining why things are the way they are. Like he would have an answer for every single question I had. And as I said before, like I was the guy that was always very curious and inquisitive and almost trying to like poke holes and things. So everything that I came at him with, he would give me like the entire history of the universe. Like he said, why is this the way it is? And he says, well, if you look at it from an evolutionary perspective, and then he would just take me through like this whole entire thought process. I'm like, damn, (laughs) like I can't go back to looking at things the way they were before. Like I've taken the red pill, I can never go back to the matrix.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, I want to ask you now. So, what are you up to today? Like, um, what does your work life look like? And then what makes you different? Like, let's say that one of our audience members is like, Hey, I really, this resonates with me. I've been having, um, you know, some pain. Uh, Yeah. I guess a few things, Joe love to hear um, what you, what you're up to today. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: What makes you a bit different? What makes you a lot different? And then who, what are the kind of clients that hire you? Like who are the people that find you and say, this is like, this is the, what's your, what's your neuroscience mic drop kind of client where you tell them something or you have them do something and they're like, Whoa, where have you been all my life? Right. I'm sure you have those moments for yourself now, just like you had with the Marine. I'd love to hear about those things.
1: So, uh, what I'm up to today is, uh, I'm spending most of my time learning Mandarin because, uh, my martial arts teacher doesn't speak any English. And I want to talk to him about some pretty heavy concepts that I think I'm the only other person that can talk to him about it with. (laughs) And, um, so my, work, uh, my work-life balance, I'm actually doing a lot more in the, in the advertising marketing area now. So I'm just trying to get my name out there a little bit more because, again, there's only three of us that do what I do. And we're all mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the tri-state area. We're all in New Jersey, Manhattan. Uh, so a lot of it is me getting out there and doing a lot more speaking engagements, doing uh, small workshops. So I'm actually enjoying enjoying like flipping the script on everyone. I start off most of my workshops like, hey, tell me what you know about posture and stuff like that. And then it's like, oh, you sit up straight, you watch your back, you stick your chest out, squeeze your shoulder blades, whatever, whatever. And then I'm like, I I get all this feedback. I'm like, that's great. That's great. Everything you have just said is wrong. (laughs) And then then everyone's like, wait, 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 what? Like, I was at a a networking event last night, actually. And I had like a group of like three or four people from this one company together. And that's literally what I said. And then that's all wrong. And then they were the loudest reaction I'd gotten in a while. They were like, what? And then like... (laughs) that were maybe 20 feet away turned around or like what the hell is going on over there? Um, but it's like one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's flipping the script. It's, it's building, uh, it's world building essentially. It's saying like, so wait, what does that mean for all these other things, right? So I'm doing a lot more uh, in terms of public speaking. I never thought that that was going to be something that I would actually do. But mm-hmm. because it's educational, and there's a lot of feedback, that doesn't stress me out the same way as an elevator pitch would like we talked about before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so that's what I'm currently up to now. Uh, what was the other two questions? I'm sorry. Well, yes.
0: Yeah, um, curious. Like, what's your ideal client? Like, who's who's somebody that would be uh, a good fit to work with you? Ah, okay. Uh, that would that would get their. Uh, as I think I said, they would get their neuroscience mic drop with you. Right. Where you they get to say, man, where's
1: Joe been all my life? So it it typically finds there there's two there's two kinds of people that find me that I work really really well with. First is people that have a little bit more responsibility in their company. So people that are in senior management or executive. The reason for this is because a lot of these people aren't just doing and working with a a limited set of data. Like they're they're having to deal with multiple inputs from a bunch of different uh, areas in the company or even like with relationships to other businesses or other locations. So they have to multitask where they're getting information from and what kind of departments they're working with. They're not very isolated in what they do. So they get this whole idea of integration that I offer. They're like, hey, how you breathe has a lot to do with why your back is always tight or uh, where you feel pressure in your foot is going to have a huge influence on your, uh, on your neck or on your shoulder, right? Uh, so for them, it's kind of like they understand how everything matters and how mm-hmm. they can't ignore all of these little details because for them, uh, that's the difference between losing a couple hundred thousand to maybe a million dollar business uh, decision. Right. If they ignore yeah. one little detail, like, let's say sure. uh, someone last night was talking about this and, and he was trying to sell like uh, a, a print job to Columbia. And this guy's a born and bred New Yorker. you know, He speaks Spanish, but he was being very aggressive with people down there. And he lost a deal for two years because uh, he was too aggressive and they didn't respond that way. The, the government down there did not respond to his attitude. Mm-hmm. So he had to have somebody say like, Hey, hey, listen, when you talk to them, you can't be quite so aggressive. You have to tone it down a little bit because then they have to, they're going to be able to warm up to you. And that's when you can start talking about the business, but you can't push too hard. So it's like yeah. one of those soft skills that people get. It's like, Oh, you have to take into account, like what's their cultural background? Again, going back to the idea of biases, like what is your bias yeah. for how you act? If you've only been in New York, you never understand how you do certain things. Like, how you accept a business card from someone depending on where they're from, like uh, how, you, how you offer to pay for classes or whatever. I remember for, uh, for my Mandarin classes, like I learned something where I was paying the teacher and I would pay and I would offer the money with both my hands, you know? And mm, yeah. he wasn't expecting that from me. And so when I did that, she, it actually made her smile, right? So she warmed up to the idea of like, uh, of, of uh, working around my schedule a little bit more because I was a little bit more conscientious about certain things, right? So the people yeah. that are detail-oriented, the people that have a little bit more responsibility in their companies, they, they tend to work well with me because they get it. Mm-hmm. They, they get it on a very visceral level because it's what they do for a living. Yeah. Um, the other people that tend to work really well with me are the people that are also frustrated. So they've done, let's say, and this isn't a knock on anything else, but they've done yoga, Pilates, physical therapy, chiropractic work. Uh, they've done strength training, personal training, functional movement, whatever. And for them, their issue wasn't resolved. So they were looking for something that makes sense. And they're like, well, why is this always this way? Why is this always tight? Why does my knee always bother me? And the scans show there's nothing wrong. Like, for me, that's the thing. It's like, all right, it's not a purely physical, structural issue. It has to be something that uh, you have to take into account, like the, the neurological aspect of movement. And so for those people, they finally get peace of mind. They finally get relief for something that like nobody else has been able to figure out.
0: Yeah. But And that leads me to the last question. So what makes
1: you different from any other movement coach out there? Oh, that, that's an excellent question. So again, bringing up the idea of like uh, sticking at your chest, um, puffing out your chest, sitting up straight, maybe stretching your hamstrings. These are things that we're taught that we should do. And when you really look at the structures of the human body, these aren't things that are actually going to help you. These are things that are going to make things a lot worse. So for me, I actually don't care about your glutes. I don't care about glutes. Your glutes are not going to protect your lower back. I don't care about making you get, quote unquote, stronger abs. I don't care about training your lats to give you better posture. Uh, I really care about the other muscles, the things that everyone tells you to stretch, Uh, your hamstrings, your inner thigh, your adductors. I care about breathing. Like If you can't learn how to breathe well, I can't teach you higher order skills. Like A lunge is a high order skill. People say, oh, we are just do lunge and just go up and down. You feel your quads and you're fine. No, 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 no. <laughs> there, there are a lot of prerequisites that have to go before doing a lunge. This doesn't mean that I'm going to take like six months to get you to do a lunge. That's insane. Um, but there are skills that you need to have in your toolkit before I can show you weight-bearing exercise.
0: Interesting. It's really interesting. You're making me, um, as I'm sitting here, making me very self-conscious about how I'm sitting. And I'm sure... Whatever way I'm sitting it, I feel like you're gonna, you'd you be like, that's not the right way to do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's it, another thing. It's like it's, uh, people look at exercise just as exercise. They're looking at it as structure, as muscles, right? So what I talk about in a lot of my YouTube videos is that um, it's not about the exercise. It's not about the drill per se. It's about are you mining that exercise well enough to acquire uh, sensory feedback, to acquire feelings from your body? So every time you do a drill, it's not about doing five or six reps. It's about, can you feel hamstrings, moving bones? Can you feel this doing this? Can you feel this influence on uh, specific body parts? And then can you be more receptive to that sensorial experience? Right. So it's more yeah. about like this, this exercise, this drill is a funnel to something else.
0: Yeah. That's fascinating, Joe. I, um, well, where can the audience find you? So I'll, I'll put all this information in this, in the show notes as well. But I'd love to hear what you're up to, like where you're visible, where people can find out more about what you do, um, you, and I know you've got a, a various, like you mentioned, you're doing a lot of marketing. Tell us yeah. a little bit about those channels so people can, can go check you out.
1: So uh, the name of my website is Mejor Strength, M-E-J-O-R, Strength. Mejor is Spanish for better, as in there's a better way to do things. Mm. Uh, you can find me on the platforms that I use the most are YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So for YouTube, I drop a new video every Tuesday, whether that's morning or evening, it's anybody's guess, but I just Mm -hmm. finished editing the one for today where I talk about how you can still be in uh, mechanical uh, flexion, but your, your neurology is putting you into extension. So you're doing two things at the same time. Uh, So every Tuesday, I usually some, some bit in understanding about like, Hey, so what's, what are some concepts that I need to know before, let's say working with. And uh, on Instagram, I usually post maybe anywhere between three to five times a week. I'm very active on stories. Every Monday, I have a and a so people can just drop their questions about like, hey, my knees is is bothering me, like what's something that I could look at or things like that. And then on LinkedIn, I also post more thought-provoking things. So I make you question the status quo of movement and uh, rehab. Uh, so a lot of those are more educational, or just kind of like tongue in cheek and like, hey, if you always do this, why do you expect a different outcome? <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's true. I I like your, I love what you do on your Instagram stories where you have people ask you questions or you, you pose um, like either like ask me a question or you pose a question that, like you said, goes against the norm and then people get to answer you and then you actually go back uh, same day or next day and let all of us as part of your audience know what the answers to are so we can see what other people think. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of preconceived notions out there about body and movement and muscles and all the things we've talked about today that it's so fascinating to see where your point of view and to see you come in and say like, actually, no, instead, X, Y, Z. Um, right. And I just, I think it's really cool what you do. Well, I want to thank you, Joe, for being on today. It's been, it's been awesome having you on. I would love if you would be so kind to leave the audience
1: with some words of wisdom. Mm. Sure. I would say that when you get Don't into- sit up straight. <laughs> so
0: don't sit up straight. <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. Uh, that's actually one of the things I tell people when they meet me in a network event, saying, what's the one thing I could do for my back? Say, stop stretching your hamstrings. And like, serious? I'm like, yeah, I made a video about it on YouTube. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> something a little bit more global is that, uh, and it's so cliched, I almost don't want to say it, is that you don't know what you don't know. Like people, uh, they never question a plumber when they call up a plumber to go and like fix their leaky pipes. Uh, but yet there are certain industries where people are a lot more resistant uh, in asking for help. And I think it, it would behoove you, You know, you, 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 when you have an issue with your, with your uh, plumbing, you call a plumber. You got an issue with your car, you go see a mechanic. You have an issue with your movement or mental health. These are things that you, you live with every day. Why wouldn't you go uh, seek an audit to, to, to figure out what you can do to improve yourself? I mean, you only have one body to live in and that's going to facilitate your, your earning potential over the next 30, 40, 50 years. Why yeah. not invest?
0: Yeah. So take what I heard from that, and what I'm taking from that is, invest in your body like you'd invest in uh, your any other part of your health. If you're feeling sick if you've got the flu, and how you'd invest in your financial health, all the other areas, yeah. um, invest in your body in the same way. Yeah.
1: The, the The root issue is seldom what you think it is.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you again, Joe. It's been really great having you on, and uh, I'm sure the audience is going to enjoy this episode. Thank you very yeah. much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking to Cool People with me, Jason Frizzell. Enjoyed today's episode? Please tell your friends, give us a shout out and a follow on Facebook and Instagram, and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. If something from this episode has piqued your interest and you'd like to connect about it, please email us at podcast at We love hearing from our listeners.